34 4 says I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears amen let's pray God thank you for loving me uh, thank you for loving us uh, thank you for loving this church Lord I ask you to bless this time that we have allow us to lift you up and glorify you because you're worth it uh, thank you for letting us know you uh, thank you for letting us uh, get to know you through your word uh, God just thank you for all the ups and downs in this life in Jesus name I pray amen well good morning man I, I feel like today's a really good day I don't know what it is, but I think today is going to be an excellent day. So if, if you feel like today is a bad day, I, I have a feeling it's going to change. Uh, we're glad you're with us. Hey, if you're watching online, we're glad you're here too. Um, sometime during the service, like we always say, please take a moment, fill out your connection card. We came to praise God, so I'm going to stop talking and let's get back to it. You may be seated. Blessed be the name. Technical difficulty. Uh, we can fast forward to the next song. <laughs> it makes Sunday interesting, doesn't it? going through a little seizure at the moment okay no I'm serious she's going through a seizure so she'll come back and she plays by ear whether you know it or not she has no music she cannot read music she's a miracle in herself she, 
she had a brain aneurysm a little over 20 years ago, and she's in the past two years been coming down with seizures again. And the only thing that she could, she's completely paralyzed for months, okay? And she's come back, and uh, the only thing that she could do was the doctors put a, a keyboard in front of her. She didn't know her folks, she didn't know anybody, but she could play any song, okay? So, are you back with us, hon? Are you back? Are you ready? Do you know what song we're gonna play? No, so she's still, so bear with us. You want me to start it? I can start it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Are you, are you okay? Okay. I got, I got rage. I can start it. Okay. We. Oui. 
All right. Hey, uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be going through this series, and we're finishing up today. So we're going to be on Luke chapter fifteen again. I'm going to I'm going to admit something here, and, and maybe you'll you'll admit it with me if that's if that's you. But two weeks ago, when Jeff started this series, I was sitting back there on the couch. Have you ever had like one of those moments? It's like almost a panic attack. I looked at the screen. It said the lost parables of Jesus, and for some reason, the the way it hit me was we had somehow found these new teachings of Jesus that Jeff was getting ready to preach on. And all I could think of was, I gotta get my resume ready because if we found some secret writings to Jesus, we gotta go. <laughs> it, it took me at least a minute before I realized that there was you know, the play on words, the lost parables, we're talking about the lost sheep. Oh man, I almost panicked. It really, it, like, it hurt my heart thinking, I'm like, oh, what did we get ourselves into? There's no lost parables of Jesus that we're going to suddenly find mysteriously. Whew. All right, so maybe it was just me. If it is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live with that. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And there's so much here. Uh, all, all you're going to do is get a little bit of my ramblings, uh, a little bit of my, my thought here. And there's, there's so much, honestly, that, that we could dive in on almost any one part of this passage and stick around here for days because it's really, it's really an unusual chunk and there's just so much material. So what we're going to do is we're going to read it through one time and it's going to be a little bit of reading. We're not going to go all the way through. We're not going to read 11 through 32, but we're going to, we're going to cut and, and move around a little bit. So let's start in verse 11. And he said to them, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now many, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now we're going to stop there for just a second because this brings us to our, our first and, and easiest point when we talk about this, these lost parables is making inappropriate demands. It's our, our, it's our very first point. The next slide will say making inappropriate demands. And I love this so much. This is one of the passages that when I read it, it makes me say I like Jesus. Not Jesus died for my sins, but I look at this passage and say, Jesus entertains me. Because what we have here, if you look at the very beginning, just like Jeff started two weeks ago, it was the parable of the lost sheep, remember? A farmer had a hundred sheep, one wandered away, he went and started and left the 99, went for the, the one, and when he found it, he had a great big party. He told all his friends they celebrated. And I imagine as Jesus was telling this, he was surrounded by tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, people that were just wanting to hear. So here they are, they're surrounding, and Jesus is talking about the sheep. And I can imagine people shaking their head going, I understand. That's a sheep. That's someone's livelihood. That's someone's animal. That is, that is something that's valuable. There's a sheep. Oh, that poor sheep. He's defenseless out in the woods. Someone's got to rescue him. Oh, it's so sweet. The farmer went out and found him. And they're nodding great big saying, yes, I understand it. And then Jesus comes up with the next parable. And this is what Jeff talked about last week, the parable of the lost coin. 
And it was a woman that didn't have much money and she lost one coin and she had to go search for it. And when she found it, remember what happened? A big party. And so I imagine when Jesus was telling this parable, people were nodding saying, yes, I understand. That was a coin. That woman didn't have much. That coin was valuable. It was important. And when she found it, oh, it was such a good day. And they were nodding. And then Jesus comes out with the hammer. He said there was a boy. And he came to his father and he demanded his father give him his share of his inheritance. And I imagine the smiles go from this to uh uh-uh. And I love this passage and it makes me so happy thinking about it. But see, for you and me, you and me, when we read this passage, we go, man, that that dad kind of had a stinker, right? We go, wow, wow. That's because we're different than when this, this parable was told. See, when, when Jesus told this parable and he's describing to these people that there was this boy and he went to his father and he asked for his inheritance right then, people would have been saying, oh my goodness. Oh, no, no, no. A son, would, a son should never do that. Never do that. But for us, see, we're inundated by this garbage. Let me, let me give you some quick examples Rachel Canning turned 18, and when she moved out, she sued her parents. She took them to court because she wanted them, they were pretty wealthy, she wanted them to continue paying for her education and give her a very generous stipend to live off of, and when they said no, she sued them. That made national headlines. Everyone read about that. She came to the, the, the court in a nice black um, business suit, and she looked really angry because it's normal. Uh, Raphael Samuel sued his parents because he was born without his consent. In 18-year-old named Katharina An 18-year-old named Katharina sued her parents because they posted baby pictures of her on Facebook without her consent. She sued him. In Detroit right now, there is a lawsuit making its way through. There's an older lady... And she's uh, running into some desperate times. So what she thought she should do was sell the house and move into an apartment and use the money from the sale to help fund her life. Her children are suing her because that's their childhood home. So they don't want her to sell the childhood home. See, we hear these things, and, and honestly, we could go on and on and on about children filing lawsuits and trying to you know, take take what's theirs from their parents. So we hear that all the time. So when Jesus talks about the parable, the, 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 the lost son, we go, yeah, I get it. He's a stinker. But for them then, oh no. Uh-uh. This was unheard of. It was unheard of that a young man would have the nerve to go to his father and demand that he gets his inheritance then. I laugh now because I look at my kids and think, good luck. You want to sue me? <laughs> You're going to get a couple old suits and a worn-out car, losers. Ha! But I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this passage, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering if, if Jesus had that internal knowing smirk when he was talking to this. Because everyone started out, yeah, I understand the sheep. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, I understand the coin. That makes sense. Then he breaks out, and everyone's mad about this boy leaving. And I wonder if Jesus was smirking on the inside, saying, surprise, I got you. 
because I honestly believe we are more like this son than we could even possibly know. Why? Because this is what the boy did. Let's, let's sum it up real simple what the son did. The inheritance was going to be his in the future, correct? He wanted it now. See, Christians are doing that this very second, and I don't even think we realize it. See, we've heard these things in the scripture. We've heard passages like Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, and it says, the Lord will wipe away all the tears in heaven. And we go, man, life is not good. I want God to wipe away my tears. I want it now. I want it now. Or how about John chapter 14? And Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. There is a place for you. And I, and I hear that and I, I think, man, sometimes in this life, it, it just feels like I have no room. I feel like I don't have a space. I don't feel like I have a place I belong. And I hear Jesus talking about this mansion that's in heaven and there's a place for me. And I go, I want my own place. I want it now. Or Luke chapter 13, it says, people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. And I look at that and we think, man, I'm hungry, God. I'm hungry. No matter what I do in this life, I, I always feel like I'm empty. I want to have this feast that fills me up. I like that, God. I want it now. Revelations chapter 27 then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every mouth. And I look at that and think, man, it's, it's hard to exactly understand what they're talking about, but it sounds beautiful. Man, this, sometimes this life is just so ugly. I just want that beauty in my life. And I look at that and I say, I want that, God. But I want it now. And so here's this boy. He goes to his father and he's demanding these things. He says, I want you to give me my share of the property that's coming to me. All he's doing is saying, Father, I know what's coming to me, but I want it right now. And there have been more times than I can think of that we get together in a, as a body of believers and we're praying about something and we have a prayer and we phrase it in the exact same way. God, I want this and whatever it is, dot, dot, dot. I want you to take care of this or I need you to take care of this or I want you to fix this or I want you to give me this. And what we're saying essentially is, is God, I know what you have promised me in the future, but I want it now. And so really when we look at this passage, the very first thing we see is simply that the, the son was making an inappropriate demand. And I think way too often we make inappropriate demands of our God. And you know what's ironic here, and I'm going to throw this out here, it's, it's kind of off topic, but if we look at this passage, something stands out really unusual. It says, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. Stop. And he divided his property among them. Stop. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey. You know what we see there? Is even sometimes when someone gets everything they want, they still leave. You want to talk about making inappropriate demands? 
He demanded his father give him what he wanted then. He got it, what did he do? He still left. And I believe that there are people that make inappropriate demands to this day, and even oftentimes God gives them part of that future now through blessings, they still leave. They still walk away. All right, let's read some more. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. We're going to stop there. I'm sure you're aware uh, that frequently in, in uh, scriptural times, um, people of certain religious beliefs would congregate in the same area. So oftentimes when you would look in one area of, of life, people were living there true, but they also had very similar religious beliefs. They were worshiping the same God, they were doing the same practices, they kind of grouped together. It's just how they did it because they didn't have Facebook to connect us all over the world. So they would connect where they were. So in this passage here, it talks about he went to a foreign country. What this is doing is it's bringing us to us our, our very easy second point is he was being surrounded by the wrong people. That's it. So when he left his father's house, he didn't leave his father's house to go to Tucson to play video games in the arcade. What he was doing was he was going to a, sep a, a separate area that had a completely different religious belief. His family wouldn't have been there. His friends wouldn't have been there. His acquaintances wouldn't have been there. And if you read down in the passage, you can. I'm, I'm not going to read it right now. You can see what he was doing with his money because his brother gets upset by it. And so when it's talking about where he was going was literally this young man left and he surrounded himself with the wrong people. And honestly, you know, man, isn't this right though? Doesn't this, doesn't this situation with this young man, doesn't this just sum up what we go through? You get a couple dollars in your pocket, the world loves you, don't they? Man, you win the lottery, you've got all the friends you could possibly have. You get a big inheritance. Man, you've got a lot of friends. Everyone shows up. What happens when it disappears? All of a sudden, everyone else does too. And this just really sums it up. And I, I point this stuff out. And if, if you were a teenager, what we do, we, we do the same visual representation we do with all teens. So you get a group of teenagers together and you'll say, okay, I want one teenager to get up here and, and you'll play the only Christian and everyone else will, pray, will play the non-Christian and they'll, they'll stand on top of a chair. And you'll say, okay, you're the only Christian. Bring someone up here with you while the non-Christians, you try to get the person off the chair. We've been doing this thing for 30 years. It's never changed. And what happens? The non-believers pull them down. Why? Because it's one against the many. And then we, we change the experiment. We go, okay, I want you to get two or three people to be on your team. Now they're going to be the Christians and I want you to focus on this person, the non-believer, and I want you to see, can you pull them up or can you pull them down? And it always works the same. You'll say, oh, you, you, when you get together, you need more believers to help lift up the non-believers, right? We, we do this forever. This is, this is always the same, same very, very similar things. But I don't even know why I bother pointing this out. Really, what's the point? I've been with you Christians long enough to know. See, we say that in church. We nod our head. We go, yes, yes, yes. 
We've got to make sure that we're not completely surrounded. We've got, we've got some allies on our side. We've got to make sure that when we, we go out into this world, we've got to make sure that there are people that are beside us, that they understand what we're living, and they're going to help lift us up. We say that in church, and then we walk outside this building, and we do the exact opposite. What we do is we do the exact same thing this young man does. We surround ourselves with, with people who are pulling us down. And I know what you do. You know what you say? You know what you say when, I, when you're confronted? You break out the spiritual answer. I know what you do. I say, hey, you know, you're, you're outnumbered in this world. You've got to get some allies. You look at me and you say, I'm ministering to them. Come on. That's like the person who sits in the church chair, closes their eyes, falls asleep, and when you ask them about it, they go, I was praying. I'm like, well, you were snoring and drooling while you were praying. I know what you do. You'll say, I witnessed to people. I was witnessing. That's, that's why I was completely surrounded and outnumbered. I'm ministering to them. Come on. That's what this young man's saying. Oh, I was ministering to them. Yeah? Then why did they bail out and run on you the first second famine came? There was a, a young man I knew, and Aaron knows him too. He wanted to go into the ministry, uh, and this particular young man uh, worked as a bartender at the local bar. And so one time, it wasn't me, because I'm not very good at confrontation, I just get angry. Some, one time, someone confronted him, and, and they said, why are, you, why are you a bartender? And he said, I know people in that bar right now, I know a few of them personally, and they're struggling with addictions of alcohol, and you are pouring it into their cup. And this young man, you know, he looked dead in their eyes. And he said, the bar is my ministry. Oh! I'm like, wow, you're an angel, son. You're an angel. The, the heavens opened up. The rays of God poured down upon you. He didn't say, I'm making really good tips and it's paying for my school. And I understand that's not the best job. No, nope. he said, I'm ministering to them. It's the same thing we do here. It's the same thing. We surround ourselves and we're outnumbered. And when someone says, hey, you've, you've got to find someone with you that has similar moral and ethical beliefs, someone that loves the same God as you, and that way when you go minister, you guys go together. And we go, no, no, I'm, I'm ministering. And you know what's even worse? This is what I'm looking at here. This is, this is my, father, my father vision here. The father gave him everything he wanted. And what did he do? He threw it all away. The father made his life great, and still what did he do? Still made bad choices. We'll walk out of here, and we'll do the same thing. We'll surround ourselves with people, and we'll have no one in our corner that will lift us up when we fall. That when we start having issues, there'll be no one around us that, that understands what we go through, that loves the same God, because oftentimes we're outnumbered. It's because we're making the same choice that this young prodigal son did. All right, let's read one more, and you can close your Bibles. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. When he, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And this brings us to our last point. And there's, there's just so much here. It's not realizing when enough is enough. The dad never said leave. Did you read that in that passage? Even after the father gave him everything that he asked for, the dad never said, you've got to go. He left. He's the one that walked away. And then I look at this passage, and I think, how long did he stay away? Long enough to get a job. Long enough to have a job and become hungry. Long enough to have a job and become hungry and then humble himself so much so that he had a whole bunch of money, spent all his money, and now he is resolved to see himself where he truly is. He's nothing more than a hired servant. Most people don't transition that mental belief overnight. There is some time that has passed here. This is not simply he went out for a week, spent all his money, said, oh, I'm hungry, I'm going home. It took some time for him to transition that belief where he had everything, all the friends, all the fun, all the food. He had to go from there to being broke. Then being so broke that he was willing to feed pigs. Then he had to go from feeding pigs to wanting to eat what the pigs had. Then going from feeding the pigs to wanting to eat what the pigs had to saying, I'm no better than my dad's servants. I'm going to go back and work. And then he had to travel home. There is a serious amount of time here, and it really irritates me because this thing right here in a very similar situation is going on in our country today. Every single year between 1.6 and 2.8 million teens run away from their house. That is almost 9%. Almost 9%. And when you start breaking down those numbers when they're interviewed in the, in the homes, um, a little over half of the teenage runaways left and they said that their guardian knew they were leaving and didn't care. And then I look at that and think, here's this father who never said you've got to go. And then I start thinking about something else when you start breaking down the statistics of teenage runaways. Only 7% of the runaways will return home if they've been gone for more than 30 days. Only 7% of that many teenage runaways will return home on their own after 30 days. After 30 days passes, they typically stay out. Why? Because just like this boy, sometimes we don't realize when enough is enough. Christians do this all the time too, family. We know that we've been gone too long. There are so many people right now in this world that if you ask them and they were honest and you said, where do you think you'll go if you die today? They'll say, I'm going to hell. They realize that they're gone too long and it doesn't change. And then you start looking at and more things. 32% of teenage runaways have tried to end their life while they were on the road. They didn't want to come home. They didn't think they could come home. 32% attempted to take their own life. 5,000 kids on the street every day or every year die before coming home. We can look at this passage. Man, there is, there's a lot here. Why didn't the son go home? Dad never kicked him out. Dad never said, you've got to go. 
back, the father said, here, you can, you can have it. Take what you want. You've, you've asked me, I've given it to you. He never said you've got to go. And he certainly, I don't see a passage in here where the father, when the son's packing his stuff, the father said, you've got to go. You can't come back. This prodigal son is a representation of us. See, we look at this passage, and really, if we want to be honest, there is only one person in our history who has not run away from God. Only one. That's Jesus Christ. Every other person, the second that we have sinned, we have created a distance between us and God. Technically, that makes us a runaway. We have separated from God through our life choices. Now, some of us separate further, I think. Some of us go real far away. But as far as I can tell, in history, there's only been one person who has ever not run away from God. And we look at this, and we can ask the same question, and we ask this boy, why didn't you just go home? Man, admit what you've done was, was silly. It was inappropriate. You surrounded yourself with people that you shouldn't have surrounded yourself with. Admit that you're wrong and go home. Now be honest with me here, family. Be honest. If you found out right now that either your child or your grandchild or when you had children in their house or you had a niece or a nephew, it doesn't matter, some kid, and they ran away from home and they came to you in, in confidence and said, I want to go home, what would you say to them? You would probably say the same thing that most loving people would say is, man, just go home. Admit what's wrong fix it, go home. We don't do that. And what's sad here too is we know that in, in our times it's a little different. In their times, a, a child leaving the house like that would have been catastrophic for the family business. Most times families did the same businesses together, so losing one of your almost employees would have been really rough. All that work would have went down on someone else, and I have a feeling it was the, the son, the other son, that got angry when his brother returned. I have a feeling he was doing a lot of the, the work that this son left. So when we look at this passage, you know who the son is really hurting? He's hurting his family. When you look at the national teen runaway statistics, one of the biggest contributing factors for a teen who has run away from home to actually return home is they have a personal connection with someone within the family. That's what does it. It's the connection with someone within the family is actually who gets the teen to come back. You know what's funny? That's the same thing about church. I was dating this girl. Aaron said, I, I can't ever talk about, whenever I, I talk about who I dated, I like to tell the kids it's the love of my life just to really you know, mess with my wife. So I can't say that anymore. So I, I didn't like this girl at all. Didn't like her at all. But it was, it was this awesome situation. I gotta wrap this up. But I, this is so neat. One of the brothers got in trouble with the law. They did something just completely ridiculous and he was looking at, at doing about 10 years in prison. And I was a young man. I, I was just kind of out of it, just having a good time. The brother acquired a new identity. He acquired a new set of papers and he ran to the other side of the country and he lived there and he talked with the lawyer and they figured out the exact date he's allowed to return to this state when the statute of limitations expired on his crime. 
And I was young, and all I could think of was like, man, that's so awesome. He got, that's like a movie spy. He got separate papers and a new social security number. He got a new driver's license. I'm like, oh, man, this is really awesome. And I kept thinking that's really cool, and I didn't realize that the entire family was sitting there saying, you're gone for eight years. We can't talk to you for eight years. We can't know where you've been. We, we can't have communication with you for eight years. I'm smiling. Everyone else was kind of like eyes were watering. Man, who was affected? It was, it was the family. Who was affected in this passage? It was the family. Who was affected? It was the father. Enough is enough. As our praise team comes up, lead us in a song of decision. If you're the prodigal son and you have wandered, I'm going to say the same thing that I bet this father would have said to his son. Hey, enough is enough. Come home. Come home. People listening to this probably wouldn't have been thinking to themselves, ah, that, that kid should go home. They're probably sitting there thinking to themselves, hey, you know what? That, that kid did something really wrong. He has no right to come home. But you know what? It's not their choice. It's the father's. It was the father who welcomed the son. It wasn't anyone else. The father gets to make those choices. And hey, if you're, if you're watching online, and this applies to you, it's the same thing. Hey, come home. Hey, as we get ready to stand and, and have a song of decision, if, if you have not made a, as a decision to follow Jesus Christ, you want to get baptized, I say come on down. Hey, if you want some prayers, come on down. We'll, we'll pray with you. If you're online, the same thing. On your connection card, there's a little, little section there for your prayers. Uh, mark it. We pray about them. If it's confidential, mark it. Uh, if you're a baptized believer, you want to make First Christian your home, hey, come on down. We'll, we'll welcome you with open arms. Let's stand as we get ready to sing.
There was a passage of scripture. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I bet you've heard this a hundred times. If my eyeballs will work with my contact circle here. All right. Then verse 27 and 28, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of life in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You know, we have, there are a lot of theologians that argue this verse, and and churches actually argue this verse too, but what does it mean to, to come together at the Lord's table and eat in an unworthy manner? And people are gonna argue back and forth. Some will say, oh, it was because there was food involved, there was some drunkenness involved, or they'll say, oh, the, the rich people were going in front and the poor people were going in the back. And there is so much that we can go back and forth. But I look at this passage and I, I think, why are we arguing about something so simple? Why are we going to get so caught up in these small details that what we do is when we do that, we wrap ourselves up in, in the minute information. We miss the passage here, and we, we completely overlook the point of it. What is it? When we come together for the Lord's Supper, when we come together for communion, nothing else should be around. Nothing else should be going through our head. Not, did I get first, did I get second? None of that. Not who's here, who's not here. Not who's being served, what's being served, what that person's doing down there. When we come together as a body of believers, what we should be doing is closing our eyes, taking the juice, taking the bread, and we remember the fact that Jesus said, you do this in remembrance of me. Nothing else. Nothing else should be rolling across our head. And when we do that, we should also be thinking about the fact that, hey, you know, God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And I need to start letting go of some of the things I've got with people too. If Jesus can forgive me, I can forgive others. Let's bow and pray. Lord, thank you for allowing us this time to remember what an amazing gift it was. Uh, Father, thank you for showing us what real love is. That is, it's an action, it's not just empty words. Uh, Lord, I ask as we come together to, to have this juice and this bread, that we put away everything in our head that we're thinking about, what's going on, and it's nothing except for you and what happened on that cross. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
On the inside of your bulletin, we have um, many announcements for this week. Um, I think there's a Singspiration. Is it? <laughs> Five o'clock at Whetstone, and they're asking if you would like, if you could bring desserts. Uh, from our church, so that's at 5 o'clock today at Whetstone, at the church in Whetstone. Also, the uh, jewels I'll have here in a few minutes, I'll have her come up here about the Lady Spa event. Narrow Path, we're going to be going on Saturday, May 13th. We'll meet at the church at 8, leave at 8.30. We're going to go to a place on the back side of the Huachuca, so make sure you bring lunch and water. Food Pantry is looking for non-perishable food items, and you can see the list there. Operation Christmas Child's looking for soaps, combs, and such, and you can see that. Karenette is uh, doing their Walk for Life on May 20th. Also, Jerry has all of his groups tonight, and I'm assuming that Roger's group, even though Roger's not here, is meeting tonight. Oh, that's right. Nope, they're not meeting because of the Singspiration. I should see that it wasn't in the calendar. Oh, actually, it is. Um, Stitches of Love, we have our Bible studies going on this week. The SMART team is meeting. And uh, I think I'll go ahead and have Jules do her thing for Lady Spa, and then we have something else I want to share with you. Good morning. Um, it is such a pleasure to be here. Um, I am just so grateful. I first want to, before I talk about spa, I want to just express uh, our gratitude that how many women came to our last spa event. It was absolutely beautiful. If you weren't able to attend, but you prayed about it, thank you for that. That was uh, absolutely felt. Um, God showed up. And um, there was just some beautiful things that were shared. The other side of it is I would like to apologize to the husbands. <laughs> it was a long meeting. Um, like I said, the Holy Spirit showed up. And sometimes time is not mine. It's his. And um, I am just really sorry if you got home later than we had anticipated. But I appreciate, we appreciate your attendance. With that being said, um, I'd like to invite you to the next event. This is for women only. I know men, I'm sorry. You guys have the narrow path. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it's coming this Saturday. Um, it's going to be over in the, the Onyx building. Uh, come at 10 o'clock. I do have little flyers that I would love to give to you for a reminder. If you're like me and it's not on your calendar and you forget, uh, this is a great put thing to put on your refrigerator and maybe get it into your phone to set a timer because Lord knows I need that. <laughs> uh, with that being said, I would love to see you. It is a, a little dirty of an event. Um, you're going to get your hands dirty. We've done this before, so this one's going to be better timed. It uh, will be done by noon, I promise. <laughs> uh, we have other things that we need to get done that day as well, so we'll be done by noon. But if we could see your happy, beautiful face at 10 o'clock over there in the annex building, uh, come prepared to get a little dirty, but also be prepared to talk about burdens um, or hear a scripture about burdens uh, that we can bear to another. So I would just absolutely, we would love to see you there. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to myself or Robin. Uh, we just absolutely thank you for your prayers, and we thank you so much for allowing this spa thing to just be so of God and not of us. Thank you. In just a moment, I want to show you a video clip from Compassion International, and Rich Huth is going to come up here and give you some information about that. Uh, um, 
Compassion International is a great organization that if you would like to help children around the world that are in bad shape, it's a great organization. My wife and I participate with them, and maybe many of you all, all do too. Uh, if you do research on them, you'll find that they're a very efficient and legitimate organization. And uh, my wife and I have been sponsoring a couple of kids, I think, for, I think we hit the five-year mark the other, uh, just recently, and it's very rewarding. So at this point, I want to show a video clip. My grandfather used to say, God is with us, and God will always be with us. Every time that we had the Lost Resistance Army or the LRA were in a village, it was fear. The fear of being abducted and being trained to become child soldiers. All the huts were burnt to the ground. I felt hopeless. No food, no water. It sent me into silence. My grandfather used to give us candy for memorizing Bible verses. It gave me hope. When the war intensified, my grandfather put me on a bus to live with my mother. My mother did not share much about her life because she had her own struggles. But I remember this Saturday, she woke me up and she said, I'm taking you to church. I saw children laughing. I had no idea what was going on, but I knew this was a good thing. And my life was forever changed. That same month, I got a letter from my husband and wife and the letter said they loved me. And at that moment, I had hope that everything would be okay. Growing up, my compassion sponsors encouraged me and continually spoke truth into my life. The Compassion Project became a place of healing and restoration. It was a place of refuge for me. I got medical care, I got an education, and it became a great reminder of the Jesus that my grandfather introduced me to at the age of five. If you're thinking about sponsoring a child, I would say act, sponsor a child, because for me, my life was forever changed. And you can do that too. Hi, my name's Rich. And I'm so grateful that Jeff, Jerry, and the leadership board would give me this opportunity to speak to you about something I'm very compassionate about. I'm going to start by sharing a story with you. I began uh, doing this about eight years ago. And 
I heard about this through Family Life Radio and wanted to get involved, wanted to get my grandkids involved. So I pulled them together and I told them I want each one of you to pick a child that has the same birthday as you have. So that you would have something in common with each other. So the children that my granddaughter picked was Mariana from the Republic, the Monica Republica, who has graduated from the program and opted out of it. My grandson picked up Harlem, who is now 17. He's from the Philippines. I just picked up a girl called Andy. She's from Brazil. She's 15, and she's handicapped. Compassion heals these kids through Jesus. They help them with spiritual, physical help. They so... So my sponsorship of these children connects them with a local church where they receive physical, emotional, and spiritual care. There are over 385 million children living in poverty today, meaning that their families survive on $2.15 per day. Could you imagine that, $2.15? So with the pandemic just went through, Food inflation, the numbers are even higher now. There's even more kids going to bed hungry, not knowing where their next meal is going to come from. Parents can't take, uh, send their kids to school. They can't buy medicine for their children when they get sick. So I believe that God is calling people like us to step up and sponsor these people. 1 John 3.16 Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and truth. Matthew 10.42 And if anyone gives even one cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciples, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their rewards. Matthew 25.40 Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do for me. So I'm hoping that I can get people to sponsor children. So after service, I hope to see people out in the foyer, and I'll help you connect with some of these children. Thank you for your time. It's really neat getting the letters from the children and, and uh, seeing some of the, the perspective of the life that they live and things that we just take for granted. It's not that way for them. So if you if it's, God's laid it on your heart, make sure you see Rich in the back tonight or today, and uh, he'll get you started with some stuff. Okay, we have a lot of people we're going to be praying for. They're in our bulletin. Uh, we had the Art of Marriage retreat the uh, Friday and Saturday. went really well, and everybody, pretty much everybody was there for it, so we were glad for that. Uh, we want to keep Ken Martin in your prayers. If you'd like to go see him, he's at, uh, I, I just dropped uh, Haven. Yeah, it's had so many names, I can't remember. <laughs> but anyway, at Haven, uh, Ruth Levette, she's at Life Care. So she, you can go by and see her. Also, Barb Niece is at home today. She is recovering from her procedure and doing well. And we have a lot of other people we're praying for. We have troops who are deployed. We have shut-ins. 
We're praying for Peach's Pantry. Uh, our church does a great work su uh, supporting them, and we're focusing on the Southern Mexico mission and the work that they're doing in that part of the world, and we're just thankful that we can be a part of the work that they're doing. At this time, uh, let's stand together. I'll give you a moment to lift up your hearts to the Lord, and then I'll close in prayer, and our praise team will lead us in a closing song. Let's stand together. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we had to, to come together this morning to hear the word proclaimed, to encourage one another to grow closer to you. And Father, I pray that as we leave today, that we leave encouraged, that we know that you love us no matter where, how far we may have wandered off, that you're always there waiting for us to come back. Father, help us to seek people out who have maybe wandered away or who have deliberately walked away, and Lord, try to help bring them back to you. Father, I thank you for the organizations like Compassion International and the work that they do and pray that we can help be a blessing to the children that are a part of that organization. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for church this morning. Have a great week in the Lord, everybody.